and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 23, recorded on October 15th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. It's good to be with you again. We have so many things to get into, a good range of topics today. Let's start with one that affects a lot of us that use Steam under Linux, and that's sort of like hodgepodge mismatch support for different games, and sometimes they rely on outdated libraries, and sometimes when you try to use native libraries, things don't work quite well. And we've just been waiting for somebody to come along and potentially solve this mess of a problem. Well, Solus has been the go-to platform for a lot of Steam users on Linux, I understand, because Ike's been really pushing the envelope in that area. And now, thanks to Snaps, it's getting a little bit easier to do that. You mentioned Snaps. Let's talk about base Snaps. This is something new as of SnapD 2.28. I'm not an expert in this, but I'll reframe the conversation to give you a, a, a perspective. Let's say you created an application that, for whatever reason, really just runs on Fedora 25. And uh, a use case comes up where you need to run that on Arch Linux. You can now create a snap of the application and a base snap of Fedora 25. That's sort of like a Fedora 25 runtime environment. Now, if you're on a system that doesn't have that runtime environment, you can have this application snap that requires that base. And it pulls it down and installs it, and the application runs as expected. But if you were to install that same snap on a Fedora 25 system, it wouldn't necessarily need that base snap. So they can be separate pieces. And what Solus is doing is they're creating the Linux Steam integration project using a strict Linux Stream integration intercept module, which sounds like a ninja move. <laughs> yeah, and it means that every other distribution that's using Snaps can benefit from the work that Ike and the rest of the Solus team have put in. And now it means that you know Steam is going to work 100% on any distro with Snaps. So will developers end up targeting this? Who knows? It's early days right now. But initially, I can say this. This is doubling down on what Solus has been great at, fixing problems around Steam and then doing it in a way that solves it once and for all and makes it available for all Linux distributions. And I, I really want to underscore that point is both this and their previous Steam work feels like the type of design work that goes into this, the type of design work that makes this a problem solved for once type thing. And that's that's going to result in easier, better gameplay on Linux if this is successful. So that's why I think it's worth looking at. If you haven't seen it yet, we'll have a link in the show notes. Go over to linuxactionnews.com slash 23, and uh, you'll see it's one of our top links. Read about it, and you can get it going on your distribution now if you support Snaps, which you probably do. Yeah, it's almost like Valve should have done this in the first place, but it's been left to the community and the community has stepped up. So yeah, well done, Ike and Solus for pushing that forward. So you mentioned Fedora in there. Well, Fedora Workstation 27 is going to have AAC support. Well, kind of. Um, AAC is the, the modern replacement for MP3. No one's using MP3 anymore, right? Uh, hang on, you're listening to one now. But if the Fraunhofer organization had to be believed, then MP3 is dead and AAC is the future. So I suppose it's a very good thing that Fedora is going to be supporting it. But I say kind of because it's not every single implementation of it, uh, but at least some AAC files will now play uh, going forward in Fedora. 
My takeaway is that most common AAC files will be supported by Fedora. This is based on an implementation released by Google. And one of the things that Fedora is doing here that's kind of nice is they're also going to be releasing GStreamer plugins. So applications that use the GStreamer playback engine will just get AAC support once you go to Fedora 27. No additional work required. Uh, this change does not mean that you can package and ship any AAC implementation you want in Fedora, though. You will have to look into their specific implementation here. Yeah, it's kind of future-proofing, isn't it? Because MP3 is still around for now, but it might not be forever. They also teased, Joe, that there may be more other major quote-unquote codec announcements soon, so stay tuned. Mm, yeah, I wonder what's coming there. Hmm, hmm. I doubt it's anything, really. <laughs> I have to say at this point, I mean, we have we have MP3 and AAC. I, I, I think that pretty much covers all of the proprietary audio codecs, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe it's video. That would be very cool. That would be very cool. All right, well, you have had all sorts of problems with GNOME in the studio, and people keep suggesting various replacements for it. And you have said to me that you want to have one desktop environment, one unified experience across all your machines. Well, how about Plasma 5.11? Yeah, the new release by our friends over at uh, KDE. Plasma 5.11 has a bunch of new features. Probably the most standout ones are the settings app, and the most popular one is improved notifications, including notification history. I didn't realize how popular that was until I started getting emails about it. I like the new task manager. I think that's maybe my favorite new feature and uh, this release also includes the new Vault system, which, quote, allows users to encrypt open sets of documents in a secure and user-friendly way. So that might be something I have to play with as well. And it lets you hide them away as well. So if someone comes to your machine, they don't even know those files are there necessarily. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. Yeah, I think that is probably, I just got to, I got to read up on uh, how it's implemented. And uh, I like so many things about the Plasma desktop, Joe, so many things about it, but yet it feels like, more than what I need for my day-to-day -day desktop. And there's still some visual inconsistencies for me that I find to be distracting. And on top of that, I almost need, what I would, would be perfect is if somebody could rebase the Neon Projects desktop in this really perfectly set up environment and then lock it all down so I can't change it. <laughs> because otherwise I just sit there and fiddle with it all day long and I would never get any podcasting done, Joe. Well, you know, there is such a thing as self-control where you just don't go into the settings and change things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. I, I'm not familiar with it, but I've heard that before. <laughs> so they have uh, something sort of in pl in play, I will say, for 5.12. And uh, I think if they don't nail this, then they're going to miss the boat. And so I would encourage everybody who wants to see Plasma better on Wayland to get involved because they're shooting for an awesome release on Wayland with Plasma 5.12. And the elephant in the room is that 5.12 is due to be the long-term support version of the Plasma desktop. So it's kind of important to nail the Wayland support on this one. Yeah, it would have been kind of important to nail it pre that, you would have thought. Like Ubuntu are doing with um, 17.10, they're getting Wayland in there one release before the LTS. You might think that. Yeah, it's getting there slowly but surely. But yeah. They, yeah. As you say, this is very important for them. This, as the LTS, they need to get Wayland working properly. So it's no wonder that the KWIN maintainer, Martin Fleurza, I think, is uh, is put out this call to to get people to test it and hack on it and contribute and just make sure that Wayland is working sure. well. Because we seem to be moving 
very rapidly towards a post-X world at this point. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be a lot of the ducks, as they say, are getting lined up. Um, but I do feel like this will be looked back on as an effort that was implemented too little too late because I feel one of the things we are learning very hard with Wayland right now is scale and use cases, like esoteric use cases, like edge cases, I guess would be the phrase, uh, are really what make the difference. And until you have a lot of those and until you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of those, you're not really testing Wayland. And so the sooner that these projects get this code into people's hands for testing, the more and more esoteric edge cases get pushed. And uh, I was sitting in a room, not to keep going back to this, in New York at the, at the Ubuntu rally where they were pulling up the bug tracker for Wayland. And it's, it's like, it's hitting, it's hitting like um, historical landmarkers for the Ubuntu project in number of bugs being submitted to the project in the entire history of Ubuntu. Because they, by right now, just having people beta testing 17.10, have more people using Wayland than apparently have been ever using Wayland before. And they're discovering so many more bugs because of that. So it's, it's quaint to suggest that a niche of the Plasma desktop users should try really hard to make Wayland support great in 5.12. And it's, it's an admirable attempt. It is much too little and it is much too late because... Because of their small scale, they should have been testing this stuff maybe a year ago. But it's just the ducks weren't in a row yet. So we will get what we will get, and um, that'll be the LTS. Well, this week, KDE turned 21, if you can believe that. It's been around for that long. And looking back at the screenshots of the various versions of it, you can see it started out looking very much like old-school Windows. And you can see the progression, and you can see, I think, the leap from 4 to 5 was really a big step and for me pre plasma 5 it was not really relevant to me whereas looking at some of the early versions of that and now it's maturing and we're getting towards this uh, 512 lts it's really coming to its own and i've stopped hating it put it that way yeah october 14th 1996 21 years ago so now if anyone ever asks you to define what does slow and steady pace mean? You can say 21 years of slowly but steadily getting there. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. This is a platform to learn more about Linux and all this stuff that's going to make you money on Linux. If you need a new thing for your review, if you need something for your resume, or if you just want to challenge yourself, check out linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You go there, you sign up for a free seven-day trial, and you support the show. And within seven days, you can poke around, try out some of the different courses. They have self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. They have hands-on scenario-based labs that give you real experience on real servers. You get to SSH in and use it like a real human being. And if you ever get stuck, speaking of humans, they got full-time instructors, actual humans, not bots, not chat bots, real human instructors that are happy to advise and answer questions. They have course schedulers if you're busy. They got certification training if that's the route you're going. And they have a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members, as well as study guides, lesson audio, and personal notebooks that you can download and take with you offline and iOS and Android apps. Maybe you're commuting, you're on the go, you're sitting in the passenger seat, you're on the bus, you're on the train, use one of their on-the-go apps, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial, and a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring Linux Action News, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. 
One of the long-running problems on Linux has been updating firmware, and it has often meant having to boot into a Windows partition or some sort of DOS environment. But thanks to FWUpd, I don't know how you pronounce it, firmware update, basically, that is getting a lot easier in Linux, and they have reached the milestone of a 1.0 release. This is one of those projects that really makes Linux feel like a full-fledged desktop citizen. You open up your software update, and right in there at the top, there's a firmware update. I remember when there was like a mistake or a vulnerability in the, in, in the Intel microcode recently. I think that's what it was. It's, there's so many, so many zero days these days. But I, I remember I opened up software update on my Dell XPS 13, and boom, there it was, right there. Before win- months, I think, before Windows had even had it. Now FW Update supports 72 different kinds of hardware. So from, from low-level firmware in your laptop to Logitech uh, multi-receivers. And uh, this is done through a combination of FW Update and the Linux Vendor Firmware Project, which is the interface that the companies work with to submit the firmware and get it distributed. And behind the scenes, it's it's all pretty easy stuff for them. It's even using like Microsoft CAB files to distribute the stuff. Like they're making it as easy as possible for these vendors. And huge portions of the project have been contributed by Dell and other vendors. And version 1.0 represents a pretty big change. There's an ABI breakage. They've removed a lot of cruft and they've rebuilt a lot of things, renamed things to the more appropriate naming scheme, all that kind of good stuff. But they're going to maintain the 0.9 version for quite a while. So if you're on current versions of Fedora, you're going to actually see Fedora ship 0.9 for a little while. Well, that's still being maintained by the project. So there are going to be two versions maintained by the project for a bit while they make this transition. Such a great project, Joe. Yeah, and it's great to see that they are going to maintain 0.9 because rather than just abandoning that and going on with the new and shiny, they realize that that is just something that they have to do. Yeah, they were able to do that without any user metrics, without doing deep data analysis on their users' activities, unlike other companies. <laughs> other companies? Hmm, what, like OnePlus? Yeah, yeah. It's not really a... Mm. Uh, FW Update is not really a company, but you get my gist. Yeah. So OnePlus have been collecting way more data than they should have been from their users' phones, including IMEI numbers, MAC addresses mobile network names, serial numbers, and potentially even a bit more than that. And okay, they were being sent back over HTTPS, which is kind of good, because often these things will just be plain text, which is never a good thing. And you can opt out of it if you go into the settings, but on by default, and some of the stuff you can't opt out from, it's not a good look for OnePlus, and it makes me feel very happy that the first thing I did when I bought my 3T was Flash Lineage on it. Good point. So this only affects the Oxygen OS that ships on these OnePlus devices. So if you've wiped it, then you're already away from this. But something that struck me about this entire situation is they said they're going to dial it back a bit, but it sounds like they're just going to dial back some of the more identifiable stuff and still collect a lot of metrics. Some of this stuff, I don't have an issue with. Uh, when the phone reboots, when it, when, when it updates, that makes sense to me. How often you run an app, when you wake it up, when you check the time, these types of metrics, I'm less and less comfortable with that. And I would like companies to start rethinking data collection because OnePlus's defense is, we would never share this information. We would <laughs> never sell this information. And my thinking is, 
What happens if you get compromised? What happens when you get bought? Yeah. What happens if, if in two years from now you come up with a new revenue idea and you create a new partnership and all of a sudden they get access to this data? That's what I think about. And, and I want them to, to consider that. And I guess maybe I'm asking too much, but if you can't give me a satisfactory answer, then don't collect the data. Just don't collect it. Or have it be an option in the setup. Do you want to help us out by giving us these metrics and let people tick the box or, or at least untick it maybe? But don't have it on by default and then only when you get busted for doing it, tell people how to turn it off. Right. And doesn't it sound like they are going to update a few interface things to make it easier to opt out and they will stop collecting telephone numbers, MAC addresses and Wi-Fi information eventually? By the end of October, I think they said. So that's some improvement, yeah? Well, for new phones that they sell, certainly. And ah, yeah. whether or not they'll do it for the old ones, let's hope so. But it just makes me think, I, I'm, as I said, I'm so glad that I didn't use Oxygen OS, even though I hear it's a little bit faster than Lineage on the 3T, but just not interested in it. You know what we really need, Joe, is we need a phone that respects our privacy, a privacy-focused smartphone that can withstand the test of credibility by virtue of true community ownership and audibility of the code. We need a hero. Yeah, well, let's talk about this for the first time ever then, the Purism Librem 5. They've done such a good job of promoting this. I cannot believe that anyone wouldn't know what it is, but I suppose we should explain it um, a little bit. So this is a crowdfunded 5-inch smartphone that is going to run proper GNU slash Linux is going to have a CPU that is separate from the baseband so it can run totally free software and you can completely turn off the radio for it, the mobile connection, and it's going to be totally free software, at least in theory. And so they did this campaign, which most people thought, ha, not a chance. $1.5 million, ha, they'll never get there. but here we are, and they've done it. They've smashed through the $1.5 million. This thing is happening. <laughs> yeah, and um, it came sort of in a surprising way, a couple of huge contributions there at the, at the last moment. And as we record this episode right now, they've, they've not only gone over their milestone, like what they wanted to achieve, but now they're going for stretch goals. They've uh, raised $1.7 million, and they still have eight days left to go. So that's 114.84% funded at this point. But now the, the real hard part starts. They, they've only got 1.7, you know, they might get to 2 million. That's not a lot of money to produce a smartphone from scratch, is it? And the OS that goes on it and the applications that run on that OS. See, this is really what I'm concerned about because it all seems like the hard part now. It seems like building the hardware is the hard part. It seems like creating an operating system that's actually usable on a touchscreen device is the hard part. Integrating matrix calling so that way it feels like a first-class phone call and text messaging experience feels like the hard part. And then figuring out a way to manufacture enough of these devices and ship them to the backers in a time that you have committed to, that seems like that could be maybe the hard part. Well, except that they have given themselves till 2019 to ship it. So they have given yeah. themselves over a year, kind of two years, really. So I'm not necessarily worried about the timescale. I'm more worried about whether that money is going to stretch far enough to, to do the R&D as well as actually ship the product because the, it's going to cost them at least like $200 per phone to make it, you would have thought, maybe even more than that. Um, 
and then they've got to send it out. That's like another twenty dollars, whatever. And so, really, the the amount of money that they've got to spend on the R and D is is minimal. That's a pretty good point. If you think about two years or so and building phones, especially your first batch, is going to be your most expensive run. Yeah, that that one point five million or so. Uh, I guess now it's actually 1.7 million, is uh, not that much money. Now, in the meantime, they may have a growing success with their laptop business. I just reviewed the Librem 15 in Linux Unplugged 2.18. And um, after a couple of attempts, they've they've now, I think, got a very competitive laptop on their hands on, on every sense of that word. And if that business begins to pick up, that might generate some revenue, and perhaps this crowdfunder ends up bridging the gap to get them between the two points. And that's that's a risky game. And I really hope they're successful, because the success and excitement around this crowdfunder demonstrates there at, le- at least is some appetite for this product in the market. Even if it's us geeks, there are geeks that have an appetite for this product. Yeah, and also you would have thought that this will have probably generated them loads of free publicity for their laptops because people will have gone to them for the phone having heard about it. And then, oh, they do laptops too that are totally free software. And so that side of the business might well be doing better as a result of it. It's not something I'd really thought about, but perhaps that will subsidize the the research and, and development on the phone. Another market trend that could be in purism's favor is more and more people are getting interested in privacy-respecting products, and that's an area where they have some traction and seem to be getting more. They recently made an announcement that they're signing up a deal with Monero, which is a mobile payment system, and when I say Monero, I think it's going to be a payment processor that supports Monero. But the takeaway message here is no doubt that the Monero project is well known for being the really, truly private cryptocurrency. It uses a different crypto algorithm than Bitcoin, And it is a truly decentralized, privacy-first cryptocurrency that you could exchange with Bitcoin or cash or whatever if you wanted to. But it's a good middleman exchange cryptocurrency because it's truly private respecting by default. Yeah, it doesn't log who you are and how much you spent in the blockchain, which is very unusual and I think unique in terms of these cryptocurrencies. So it is very much like cash, unlike Bitcoin, where everything is totally traceable. And if you spend enough time digging through the blockchain, you can work out more or less who has sent what money to who. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Monero, not so much. So yeah, they they seem to be making the right deals with the right people, don't they? GNOME, KDE, Matrix, and now Monero. And the Monero community is pretty excited about it. I saw a lot of them looking at Purism laptops for the first time ever, thinking, well, now I can now I can buy a piece of hardware with my hard-earned crypto. And the Monero is, if you were to peg it to the U.S. dollar, it's somewhere around 100 U.S. greenbacks right now. Yeah, I looked earlier, it was kind of 70-ish. Oh, really? Oh, maybe that was 70 pounds. So yeah, about 100, oh, oh, pounds. 100 okay. yeah. Yeah, so you know, it's it's in that scale, and uh, that's of course all these different cryptocurrencies. You can buy other cryptocurrencies with each other, and so people can buy Monero with Bitcoin and then use the Monero for the actual purchase, which is probably a common use case, and it's helping sort of seed the Monero community. And now you have more products like these from Purism coming online, and um, it is getting noticed by people that really follow this deep privacy stuff. Now I guess we just sit back and see what happens with the Librem 5 and see how many stretch goals they make. They do have some stretch goals they're going for. 
Yeah, but the first stretch goal starts at 4 million, which I think is a little bit ambitious. So we're probably not going to actually see them. I think it's probably going to get to about 2 million. I hope you're right, because even 2 million would be a good chunk of change, and the more the merrier, because now that it's been funded, uh, kind of we're all in at this point. We all want to see this happen, and there's a lot of excitement around it. And of course, there's one place you can go to find out when there is something new to report about this project. That's Linux Action News, linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes every single week. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. And you can support the whole network and future content at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Ressington. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later.